0: Uh, my name's Matt. It's good to be together. Um, guess what? Thank you. Before first service, somebody came up to me and gave me this pack, 120 crayons. Isn't that amazing? So that was so cool. Ask and you shall receive. Maybe 35 years later, but I should have thought of something bigger that I always wanted as a kid. there. All right. Well, we are in week five of our deeper series, and today we are ready to, I think, embrace grieving and loss. So how many of you are so glad you came to church today? So I do apologize for anyone in in advance who showed up thinking I was going to hype the prosperity gospel today. Uh, That's next week. I'm kidding. Um, You know, when it comes to grief, when it comes to loss, of course... It's easy to think of the big categories, Um, tragedy, heartbreak, moments where it's like my life will never be the same. Um, It could be a a loss of a loved one, a diagnosis, um, some huge disappointment. It could be a divorce, a miscarriage, infertility, financial disaster. I mean, uh, as a pastor, I've walked with a lot of people over the years in these kind of desperate moments. And, of course, I'm aware in my life there's personally some areas of grief and loss. And so I hear about that and I go, yeah, I, I, let me tell you about grief. Um, I think it's true that we tend to give more space to kind of these earthquake kinds of moments. And so when I talk about loss, I'm referring to those kinds of things. But some losses aren't as obvious. Some don't register as, like, catastrophic or Maybe we don't even pay much attention to them in the moment. But just because some losses aren't as big of a deal, in fact, they might even be a natural or expected just part of life, that doesn't mean they're not real losses to grieve. Um, we all experience this. For you, or for some of us, maybe it's not a major health thing, but we're all getting older and we can't maybe do some of the things we used to be able to do um, physically. I can tell you I'm at the age where uh, my days jumping on trampolines, probably over, (laughs) probably done with that. Um, Loneliness is a form of loss. It could be a friend who turns out isn't quite as good of a friend as you thought. Maybe it's a marriage that isn't what we hoped or a dream, like the door just kind of keeps closing and maybe that's not going to happen. It might be a friend who moves away, or a small group you really love that just comes to an end. Uh, For you, it could be, you know, your kids get older and don't need you as much. That's kind of a a loss. Uh, Here's a sad thought. If you're a parent, you will pick up your child one day for the very last time and not know that that just happened. You're welcome. Your, kid, your kids will, you know, move out on their own. Or For some of us, you know, you can't eat like you used to. And it may not sound like a big deal, but for some of us, it is. Maybe it's the loss of a place that means something to you, or you're, you're at college and your parents move out of your childhood home somewhere else. Or maybe you're a freshman and you go home midway through the first semester and you discover that your mom turned your bedroom into a guest room, where, where's my stuff? Um, that's hypothetical, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bitter about that. Uh, my point, though, is however loss shows up, loss is loss, big or small. None of us escape suffering and pain. None of us are exempt. And each of these losses, they affect us all differently. What might not be a big deal to you could be, it could wreck me based on, again, our personalities and our our histories, and our past experiences. Here's what I'm getting at. Tish Harrison Warren says it like this. Feeling sadness is the cost of being emotionally alive. It's the cost even of holiness. Christians have to let ourselves be a people who mourn. It's part of the deal. It's a defining characteristic of those Jesus called blessed. So today I want to look at what does Scripture, what does the life of Jesus teach us about uh, grief and loss? because how we respond to this stuff, what we do with our grief, it has everything to do with the kind of people we're becoming. It has everything to do with our ability or our willingness uh, to be shaped in the area of emotional health. According to Jesus, it's like the doorway to a blessed life, to being fully alive, which for some of us, it's like, what? How can that be? I mean, so here's what we wanna look at. Why, what does God know about grief and loss that maybe we don't? Why is there so much space in scripture given to this topic? And how do we experience the abundant life Jesus promised in the midst of that? If you have a Bible, please turn me to Psalm 137. As you're turning there or finding that, um, keep in mind the Psalms are songs, like the whole middle part of your Bible, the word, that's the Hebrew word for song. And the Psalms are the songs that Jesus would have grown up singing. So think of the Psalms as like the songbook of Jesus. And as you might expect, many are joyful, exuberant, praising, thanking God. That said, out of the 150 Psalms, two-thirds of them are Psalms of lament. To lament, which is a word that we don't really use very much, it means to express to verbalize out loud, no filter, your grief, your pain, your sadness. Uh, There's even a whole book of the Bible we usually avoid called Lamentations. Um, Psalm 137, though, is a psalm of lament. And just for context, this is written after Jerusalem, the city had been burned to the ground, after the Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, and then proceeded to haul off the majority of the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So say goodbye to your home, say goodbye to life as you know it, and then they marched them against their will hundreds of miles away to Babylon. So this is a really low moment for the Jewish people. What kind of songs do you think they wrote about this? I don't know, but probably not ones that would be played on Christian radio today. And you see this with a lot of these. Psalm 137:1: one, "By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem, our home. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. So you have the priest whose job it is to lead the nation, lead the people in praise, in worship. They go into exile, too, shackled together, loaded down with their harps and presumably other instruments. And they get to Babylon, they say, enough. Hang the harps. We're done making music. Verse 3. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So they're being mocked. They're being taunted. Sing us one of your upbeat songs. Entertain us. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? They say, we're done singing. No more music, no dancing. Have you seen our suffering? There's nothing to sing about. And they hang their harps. Maybe you've been in a season like that. Maybe even as it relates to worship, you've come to church and been like, I just can't sing in this season. I do find it interesting and maybe a little bit ironic that they have a song For use in worship in their synagogue, like our church, they have a song about an extremely painful time in their lives when they couldn't possibly find a reason to sing, and yet there's something within them. There's this impulse to express this grief, to get it out with no filter, not worrying about, well, what's God going to think about this, or does this make me look like a person of faith? They just say it. All kinds of circumstances prompt these psalms of lament. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Psalm 42 has this line, my tears have been my food day and night. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm undone. I don't even know why anymore. I'm crying. We have countless psalms like this. 70% of them, psalm after psalm, railing against God, expressing sometimes, it seems like, irrational thoughts and emotions, blaming God, despairing, you name it. And it, it is true that a lot of them, by the end of the psalm of lament, will come back around to or land on kind of a, nevertheless, I trust God, nevertheless, God is good and he is faithful But not all of them come around. Not all of them. Some have really terrible endings. Psalm 88, it ends with this. You have taken from me, God, my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's it. This concludes our morning worship, right? Yeah. We don't really have songs like this. We don't have songs that go, it is not well with my soul. Um, If you looked at the top 100 worship songs being sung in churches like this around the country, what you would find is that exactly 0% of them, zero, are psalms or songs of lament. Now, we do have some songs, a few of them set in a minor key. (laughs) But the bridge builds and builds, baby, and it makes up for it. So that kind of cancels out. Uh, So we know what to do with joy and praise and life is great and let's celebrate and hashtag blessed. We're not so great with disappointment, loss, sadness, and our culture doesn't really help. By and large, the message around us is suck it up, move on, because we want progress. We value up and to the right trajectory. We want control. Grief would be the opposite. That would be like losing control. Yes, for our big losses, our culture makes some concessions. Um, Take a few days off work, you know, get your life together. But then we're ready to go. I mean, the basic sentiment is it's time to move on. We don't, we tend to avoid this stuff. Um, We won't watch shows like This Is Us because I don't want to cry. We mostly want to escape. We want to laugh. We, want to, we don't want to be reminded of our grief. Tish, uh, in that book, uh, Prayer in the Night, she makes the case that even in kind of our, when you look around, you hear this phrase, outrage culture and people just going off. She asked the question, could it be that a lot of what masquerades as anger in our culture is actually masking deep personal loss and sadness? And we just don't know what to do with that. And then you add to that in the church, um, a lot of this gets spiritualized. Like, let's talk about how we've overcome. Let's share our victories and let's put on a brave face and show people how much faith we have. I mean, those are the kinds of stories that tend to get propped up. We have theological platitudes like they're in a better place now. They wouldn't want you to be sad. Um, God knew that you could handle this. Or here's one that I, it's hard for me to even say out loud. God needed another angel in heaven. And people mean well. They have good intentions. But statements like this reveal a real lack of capacity. We just don't know how to deal with grief. We lack the language. It makes us uncomfortable. Yes, it is true. Occasionally, people get stuck in grief. It's not what we're talking about not suggesting we should just wallow forever in grief. I would say for the vast majority of us, um, getting stuck there is probably not our problem. The risk for probably most of us is that we'll skip over grief entirely without giving it its proper place. There's a story in the book of John where Jesus' close friend, Lazarus, dies. And Jesus, a couple days later, goes to Lazarus's kind of village hometown. And Lazarus's family is there, Mary and Martha, his sisters. Uh, his friends are there. And basically, everyone's like, Jesus, why didn't you get here sooner? If only you had gotten here a few days ago, you could have done something. Jesus, what were you thinking? Don't you care about our family? And you can hear their desperation. They're all mourning their loss. They're overwhelmed and sobbing. And Scripture says that Jesus, when he sees all of this, it says he's deeply moved in his spirit. John 11, verse 33, When Jesus saw her, Mary, Lazarus' sister, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. So Jesus, deep down, somewhere, just connects with this whole terrible mess. And then the Bible has these two words. On hearing this, John says, Jesus wept. He just enters into it. He just, he lets the full force of the moment hit him head on. He's deeply moved. A few verses later it says it again, once more deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb. Listen, He does this even though he knows what's going to happen. He knows the outcome. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in spite of that, he doesn't say, oh, Lazarus is in a better place. Or guys, where is your faith? You're crying for nothing. Watch this. He doesn't try to project strength or like false positivity. Instead, he enters into it. He's deeply moved. He just breaks down, weeping openly in front of everyone. So much so that those watching observed, see how he loved him, Lazarus. So of course Jesus is grieving the loss of his close friend. Maybe more than that, Jesus, like at a, at a bigger level, is like just taking in this moment where there's suffering and pain and death and all is not well in the world, and he hates it. And he weeps. So I think at, at the very least, this is a good reminder that we have to actually let it hit us. Can't stuff it down, can't cram it, can't shut down. Uh, We can't do that and think it's all going to go away. Because if it's in there, it's, it's in there. And so we ask God for the courage to face these moments head on. If the Son of God needs to let it out, needs a good cry, if Jesus wept, then I think that's okay for us too. So you look at the Scriptures, and again, so many examples of honest, searing lament, grief, sadness. These are included in Scripture. One reason, it's, it's because it's a way of saying, hey, God is not threatened by our sadness or disappointment or even anger. I mean, could it be God is saying, I invite you, I want you to bring that to me. I want you to hold that pain and to hold that loss before me in my presence. And again, if that weren't enough, what Scripture says, Jesus, when God took on human form, openly embraced these emotions. So how do we embrace grieving and loss and do that well? I think it starts with acknowledging what you're going through. Of course, we typically do this with the big things, but I'm also referring to our smaller losses. It um, could be the pain of some kind of change. A lot of times it's good mixed with bad in some kind of transition or a moment of life. But, and the reason I say that is because if you're like me, you are perhaps tempted to do the thing where you think of the loss and then you go, yeah, but it's not like I'm, or it's not like... Fill in the blank with some extreme, anybody else do that? And which meaning, well, other people have it way worse, so why am I sad? Why am I complaining? You know, boy, what do I have to complain about? And I just want to tell you, it's not a contest, right? That those things are real. And what happens when we minimize them is we don't actually deal with our grief, Tish Warren points out, when we do that, here's here's why this matters. If we do not make time for grief, it will not simply disappear. Grief is stubborn. It will make itself heard, or we will die trying to silence it. If we don't face it directly, it comes out sideways in ways that aren't always recognizable as grief. Explosive anger, uncontrollable anxiety, compulsive shallowness, meaning anytime something heavy or deep gets brought up, I got to make a joke, I got to brooding bitterness, unchecked addiction. Grief is a ghost that can't be put to rest until its purpose has been fulfilled. If you're a a parent here and you've ever had a kid like break a bone, you know that you gotta, yes, take him to the doctor, do the thing, do the cast, all that, x-rays. Because if it heals improperly as they grow, it's gonna create more problems down the road. So you do the stuff and you make sure they don't overdo the restrictions and physical therapy and all of that. We get that. If you don't heal properly, it's going to impact you later. But then we experience internal emotional damage. And what do we do? Put the full weight of our lives and our responsibilities and busyness and the show must go on. Not realizing that internal damage is going to come up down the road. It's going to impact our relationships with others, our ability to trust, our willingness to take risks. In fact, our well-being and our ability to experience joy. By acknowledge, I just mean name it. I'm sad that. Name it. Here's what I've lost. I can't do everything I used to do physically. The friendship. Feels like it's changing. I'm sad about that. It seems like we're drifting apart. The door to that dream—I mean, time-wise, it just seems like that might not happen. It may mean saying goodbye to the end of a season for you. And like I mentioned a minute ago, sometimes these are good and bad. I think about uh, my daughter Claire. We used to, when she was little, for school, we went to these daddy-daughter dances, and we just had the best time. And every year, you know, we did this and. When she got to fifth grade, she's in seventh now, when she got to fifth grade, we went, and I was like, this is the last time we're going to do this. And yes, I'm glad she's growing up, and yes, I want her to flourish and be an adult and all these things, but we have these moments where even in the good, they're tinged a little bit with loss. I think it's important to name that. Uh, Maybe for you, you're looking forward to retirement or whatever, and it's like, as As excited as you are, as good as that is, it's a loss of another kind, loss of connections or maybe some social circles or perhaps a sense of purpose or whatever. It could be saying goodbye to a place that's meant a lot to you. We've got to name it. I think it's really helpful to journal this stuff, to actually write it down uh, without a filter. Look at the psalm. Just let it rip, you know. Only hopefully in this case, nobody else is going to read it, like we're reading their stuff, right? (laughs) Grieving well is about getting what's in here out onto the surface. And I would just encourage you, when it starts to get a little bit painful or maybe uncomfortable, that's probably when we actually need to lean in a little bit harder, just to hang in there. Uh, Kurt Thompson says, you're worried that if you start to weep, you'll never stop. Uh Uh-huh. And we say, we want you to weep until you're done because that's how long it's going to take. I'm afraid. What if I let myself grieve and feel sad? What if I get stuck there? What if grief and sadness, it just, it swallows me up and I don't survive? It turns out, at least in my experience, when I have the courage to do this, what I'm afraid is going to happen doesn't happen. Instead of something to fear, I discover that my sadness is actually a place Jesus wants to meet me in. Like he's there going, yeah, that's really sad. And he can say, I know what that's like because he knew all these things. And I sense that he's with me if we'll have the courage to do this. This, by the way, is not a one-time thing most of the time, especially with bigger losses. I've said this a while back, the stages of grief, denial, bargaining, anger, all that, it's a lot of times it's like you kind of come back around. Uh, It's not a once-and-done kind of thing. But the point of all of this is that the way out of grief is straight through the heart of it. And I don't like that because I just want it to be over. I just want to pray, God, I just help me experience joy if there's something I could do and you could just magically make this go away so I don't have to feel like this. It doesn't work like that. There are no shortcuts to joy. In fact, joy and grief are two sides of the exact same coin. My capacity to experience joy is in like direct proportion to my willingness to be honest and to embrace grief and loss and to sit with that when I have to. The grief is already there in all of us, whether or not we acknowledge it. It's taking up space. We do this work, Jesus invites us to, in order to free up space for joy and other things. The second thing we can do is share our grief with our community. Yes, there's a time and place to be alone or alone with God uh, in this, but as Paul reminds us in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Community will look different for each of us. We all have different capacities and energy for like bringing up all the stuff and rehashing. And it could be for you that one person that you tell your story to, or that you share that um, deeply. And then you have other people, they say, how are you doing? You say, I'm just going through some hard stuff. That's it. Pray for me. You can't mourn with me if I don't share my story, if I don't invite you in, and vice versa. I just think there's something really, really powerful when someone sees our tears, like here it is, we're open, we're vulnerable, and they don't try to pump me up, they don't try to fix me, they just sit with me and say, that is horrible, I'm so, so sorry. That's it. That's like so validating. Number three, see grief as an opportunity to grow in character and perseverance. Um, James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, what we're talking about in this series, and complete, not lacking anything. I Think what James and other writers along these lines in the New Testament are getting at is that it is often suffering and difficulty and pain that causes us to grow. I'm getting very close to saying, for me, it's the only way I grow. I don't know if that's entirely true, but it sure feels like that. I do want to be very careful here. This is not helpful. This is not even that helpful if you're in the middle of this. It's certainly not helpful to tell anybody else when they're going through grief, I'm just talking about the process, and we all see this looking back, not always easy to see when you're right in the middle of it. But I would bet that if you think of people that you respect and admire the most, that these are individuals whose lives and characters have been shaped from pain, from sadness, from difficulty. Schizero points out several results of this. If you kind of walk through this, he says, as a result, these individuals are often more compassionate um, Henry Nouwen says that the degree to which we grieve our losses is the degree to which we're compassionate. But for sure, it makes us more like Jesus. These people who do this often have softer hearts. They're more comfortable in their own skin. They tend to have fewer fears and are willing to take, willing to take greater or new risks. They have a restored capacity to trust God and other people even though they've been hurt by people. They have increasingly let go of the illusion of control, which we all tend to believe. Grief, just, you have no control. And they're able to live in gratitude for the small joys of life. Sunshine on a fall day, a walk or a meal with friends. Gratitude for what their bodies, the miracle of what they can do on a daily basis. I know people in this room who you have gone through unimaginable difficulty and you've somehow come out the other side. Um, and not that everything is perf- perfect now, but you do see it differently. Like there's a, still a scar there, but the wound doesn't hurt quite as much as it did. In fact, some of you here today would say that you wouldn't be who you are without that pain or difficulty. Number four, remember, life won't always be like this. Again, never say that to someone else. And that's hard to believe. It's hard. I need people sometimes, just their presence and knowing their story and what they've been through to give me hope that my life at times won't always be as it is. It's hard to believe this in the moment, that things will get better. Psalm 71 says, Though you, God, have made me see troubles, many and bitter... God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? And the writer's just venting all this and goes on, and then finally the writer says, but you will restore my life again. It's very easy when we suffer loss for that to become the center of our whole lives. We had them, and now they're gone, or whatever the loss is, and our whole life in some ways can become what we don't have, Instead of what we do. And over time, bitterness, he mentions, can kind of creep in. Not usually overnight, but and you wake up and it's kind of has seeped into everything around you. The psalmist is saying, listen, you'll recover. God will restore me. That doesn't mean things will be the same, but God will restore us we will recover. He's at work even in this. See, this allows us something about getting in touch with our grief. It actually, if we, if we walk through this, and it takes courage, it actually puts us in a place where we're ready, we have a posture for whatever the new thing God wants to bring, for him to birth something new. This just takes a lot of time, and we have to be patient. And the new thing, The future may not look like, may not be your number one preference, may not be what you wanted, but trusting that God will restore our hearts. And then lastly, we remember that we are people of the resurrection. Paul says to the Thessalonians, hey, we don't grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope. Even Jesus in John 11 He's grieving, he's expressing sorrow, he's weeping in front of everyone, but even in that moment, he pauses and he reminds Mary and those listening, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We have an ultimate hope. We have nothing to fear, including death itself. Not even death gets the last word couple questions for you as we close. First, where are you grieving? Where have you experienced loss recently, maybe the past 12 months? And I know you probably know the big ones. What are the smaller, quote unquote, losses that you've endured? This is actually a place for us to meet With Jesus, to hold our pain, our loss, before him. To meet with Jesus. I would argue that's more important than even emotional, being emotionally healthy. He wants us to meet with him, to know him better. Henry Nouwen says, what to do with our losses? We must mourn our losses. We cannot talk or act them away, but we can shed tears over them and allow ourselves to grieve deeply. To grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart feelings of security and safety and lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. Our grief makes us experience the abyss of our own life in which nothing is settled, clear, or obvious, but everything is constantly shifting and changing. But in the midst of all this pain, there is a strange, shocking, yet surprising voice. It is the voice of the one who says, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Where are you grieving? What, in in this season, what do you need to say goodbye to? Let something die even, so that something new can be birthed. could be a chapter, a season. Uh, it could be, I need to grieve the person that I thought I would be by now. <laughs> Personally, professionally, financially, whatever. Or this season in my family is over, or... It could be a friendship, a place. What door do you need to close and walk away from so you can open a new door when the time comes? Wednesday, we're having this time of, of prayer, worship together, and I know you're busy. I know, probably for some of you, you go, why do I want to come and be sad? I'm going to tell you because <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun. Um, this is about, it's not about being sad. It's about acknowledging reality, which by definition is reality, whether or not we pay attention to it. This is about freeing up space in our soul for more joy. It's about becoming more compassionate because we're, we're more in tune with these things, like Jesus. It's about living with less fear and more gratitude. So I hope I hope you'll consider coming Wednesday night. By the way, we're not going to ask anybody to pray out loud if you're not comfortable. You can just totally sit there and be left alone. And I just want you to know that. Sometimes I get nervous and I'm a pastor, so. Um. (laughs) Maybe you're here, last question, and you're happy. You're filled with gratitude. Life is going great. Or at least it was before you came in here this morning. Listen, we celebrate with you. That's great. My question for you is, how can you mourn with those who mourn? Where can you be there for someone else? By the way, we do this just by being present and listening. This is not about fixing. This is not about giving advice. It's not even about saying the right thing. It's just being present. I'm here to listen, asking, how can I be a friend to you in this moment? I'm going to pray for you. Um, as we've been doing recently, we were going to have some folks come up front who are available after the service to pray uh, with anyone who wants prayer. And so if this touches on something for you and you'd like to receive prayer, I encourage you to come up after the service. Again, you don't have to share. You can just say, I'm going through a hard time. Or whatever you feel comfortable expressing to these folks. We'd love to pray with you. Would you stand with me? If the prayer volunteers would come up, that would be great. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to grieve well, to be fully human in every way. Lord, help us to have the courage to, to not run from these thoughts or these emotions, but to Just to pause, um, to face them head on, knowing that you're with us, knowing that you want freedom and ultimately joy for us in the end. Um, So would you meet us in our big losses, in our small disappointments, in those little heartaches that uh, creep in our mind while we're driving or doing something, and then we just go back to being busy? Lord, help us to give those to you. Lord, I ask in the, in the midst of circumstances, some of us in this room, we have no idea why it's happening. We just want it to go away. It's horrible. Um, I pray that you would just be at work in our hearts doing what only you can do. And Lord, for those of us here who think it can't possibly get better, like there is no hope, there is no future, I pray that you would just surround them with your peace right now, your presence, your reassurance. Thank you for people in my life who, when it's been difficult to see, have believed for me. Help me to believe them, at the very least. So Lord, please work in our lives, work in our difficulty, Help us to become more like you, more compassionate, more full of joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you're welcome to come receive prayer. I want to send you out with this final verse, um, and then folks are up here, if you'd like to get prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Have a good day, and we'll see you next time.